let me just quickly remind you and, uh, and then set, uh, set the scene. Where we've come from. At the top of the board, at the top of creation, at the top of our lives, we are ultimately in Christ. But under that, we've got a past, we've got a present, which we're right in now, and we've got a future. But in Christ, so of those three areas that we look at sometimes just in this direction um, of the temporal, in Christ actually covers the, the eternal or, or over the top of covering all of those realms of existence. And sometimes we just want to live down here in the past. But the recognition, the new creation reality is that we are ultimately in Christ. And what Kath shared yesterday morning that uh, she'd sort of just... Uh, concisely put together was that over the top of this is our blueprint. So if I try and put a big blue, I needed a blue pen, a blueprint. And the blueprint, which is where we are in Christ, because that's how God created us. That's who we are, who we are meant to be. And then in parts of our temporal journey of life, things happen, choices are made, and uh, we turn away from or are taken off never really recognised our true blueprint. So the journey that we are on is returning. And it's interesting, the, the word in scripture for what uh, happened in the garden was with that uh, we were talking last night about, uh, about Adam and Eve, it was actually a turning away and they chose the knowledge of, uh, to choose to eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They turned away from what God was offering, which was covering and, and, and protection and safety. So they then turned into themselves for provision, uh, protection, and power. And ever since then, that's what we've been doing in different parts of our lives. So part of the returning is to discover ways that we've diverted from the blueprint and chosen provision, protection and power from our own wisdom in our own sense. In the journey that Kath and I have been on, part of the reason, actually one of the main reasons that we actually got married was that uh, we both had a call to ministry and particularly to mission work. Now she was a missionary kid, I definitely wasn't. Remember I was a very stable, lived in one place and, but God did touch me uh, in my adult life and really gave me a passion to, to work particularly overseas in missions and I came across a girl well, I actually first came across her father because he was my pastor uh, and uh, people often joke that I got to know my in-laws before I got to know my wife which is a little bit inverted but a lot of our life and relationship has been a bit inverted but part of why we really sensed God was calling us together uh, was because we were called into mission and to be serving the Lord, particularly overseas. So that became a foundation um, for why we started dating, uh, why we got engaged, and why we got married. And then ever since we'd been married, from the time we got married, within a year we were at Bible College preparing for mission, and then I was doing extra study in dentistry to prepare us to go overseas, and that was all setting us up because we knew where God was taking us, and we actually developed our own blueprint in marriage for where God was going to go and, and part of that was that we both had such a strong calling and a desire to serve the Lord 
but we actually stepped out of perhaps the blueprint that God had actually initially placed for us. And what happened was, within our marriage, a false idol developed, really, the idol of ministry. So then we ended up, when we didn't go overseas, we ended up in a, in a, in a church as pastors. And then when that season finished and we moved to Queensland, suddenly we were in Elijah House doing ministry and uh, discovering, and as I said earlier the other night, it was really good initially for Kath and more recently and more painfully for me to work through some of the issues in our lives. But in the midst of all of that, we had developed this, um, it was a foundation really for our relationship that became uh, a negative and it's only actually been in the last year or two that that's got as exposed and actually revealed that to us and, and has taken us back so we are now returning um, and actually having to take apart some of the faulty foundations for our relationship. I'm not saying we shouldn't have had a passion for missions, but when that became the foundation, in some ways it became a faulty part of our marriage and of our relationship. In the midst of that, Kath is unpacking her story, and she was going to be a missionary from birth, and her parents set her up, particularly her father, to be a, uh, a powerful servant for God, and she stepped right into that, and as part of that, developed, and it was developed, provision, protection, power, ways of surviving, ways of living, ways of going forward. But in that, parts of her heart were missed, and she actually shut them down. And what she wants to share today is a, Brad said, share some of the things that are happening in your life, what's God been showing you uh, right now. Um, we finished preparing this talk an hour before we got on the plane on Wednesday, uh, and so uh, this is right happening to us now. So Kath uh, is a little bit nervous, so that's why I'm glad you prayed for her because we're still putting this together in our own lives, in our own situation. But uh, I really believe that what God is showing her is actually going to apply to a lot of people here. Uh, so I just you come forward, sweetheart, and just... Uh, she's going to share a bit of her story, and then I'll take the white pen because we don't have any notes. We were, as I said, running a bit late, so if I can put some headings down as you share it. Okay, um, that worship was um, beautiful and I was so grateful for it because we need him to minister to us and um, I could just feel him strengthening you and holding you and keeping you in that place of life and that's what I thought, thank you Lord, because we need that today, we need that every day um, and I saw a picture of you guys as dread warriors and, um, you know, he's, he's, he's um, very aware of the ways in which the enemy has come after you and has, you know, dreadened you, has, has put dread in your heart um, or in the hearts of people you know. So some of what I share today, it may, not, it may not apply to you, but you may know people who are stuck and captive in um, what I would call a stronghold of death. So I want to pray today because this is probably the most heavy of, of the talks and um, I do not want to give the enemy any power, any focus, but in order to um, expose his strategies and how he comes against us so that we can move into the fullness of life, we do have to talk about this. So Father, I just thank you that you are our great defender. I thank you that you are the one that contends with our enemies on our behalf. I thank you that you have us, that you hold us, that you know us, that you are with us, and you have never left us. 
And I thank you that you hold our lives in your hands and in your times and that you are faithful to complete the good work that you have begun in each one. Lord, I just bless this community. I bless each heart here today. And I pray, Father, that the focus of this session will be on your life and on your power and on your victory as we expose some of the schemes and strategies of the enemy. And we give no power to the enemy. We ask, Lord, that you forbid and hold back all powers of darkness, uh, heaviness, despair. Lord, we want to see your light and your hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so this talk really is about um, uh, when we make covenants with death. And has anybody had some teaching or heard about covenants of death? Because we do do some of this work in ministry in Elijah House, but there's not an official teaching in the Elijah House course on covenants of death, and this is not a part of the package. This is just stuff I put together the other day as a result of what I've learnt and what God's shown me. Uh, and in the, um, in the Bible, in Isaiah... It talks about covenants with death. So I'd like to read Isaiah 28. Um, I'll read it from the NIV and then I'll get Simon to read it from the message because I love the way the message puts it. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we have made agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The man who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. And I'll read the message. Now listen to God's message, you scoffers, you who rule in Jerusalem. You say, we've taken out good life insurance. We've hedged all our bets, we've covered all our bases and no disaster can touch us. We've thought of everything, we're advised by experts and we're set. But the Master God has something to say about this. Watch closely because I'm laying a foundation in Zion, a solid granite foundation, squared and true. And this is the meaning of the stone, a trusting life will never topple. I'll make justice the measuring stick and righteousness the plumb line for this building. A hailstorm will knock down the shanty towns of lies and a flash flood will wash out the rubble. Then you will see your precious life insurance policy wasn't really worth the paper it was written on. Your careful precautions against death were actually a pack of illusions and lie. So basically, to very just summarise what I'm sharing today... When we make death a refuge or a solace because life is too overwhelming, we make an agreement with death and we set ourselves up and that can open us up to the enemy to come in and rob, kill and destroy. And so this is how the enemy tempts us in our journey. I just want to 
start with sharing a little bit of my recent journey and how this has come out for me and then I'll just go into a bit of teaching on how to interface with this stuff. Um, so at the end of last year, I just became physically exhausted and there was nothing wrong with me. Doctors ran tests. I just was absolutely physically exhausted. I was spiritually and emotionally, um, uh, intellectually exhausted as well after 12 years of fairly <laughs> heavy ministry load and also my own journey, which was fairly complex to work through and took a lot of time. Um, and I said to Simon at the end of last year, I think I need a sabbatical, you know, I'm over seven years. Um, but this drive in me that Dad had, um, uh, not in a negative way, but he saw who I was. I loved my father very deeply. Mm. <laughs> um, he's an unbelievable person. But he saw my blueprint and in his way he tried to draw out what he saw in me. But... Um, ministry was an idol as well and so he in a sense programmed me or built me into into what he saw in me but my heart was missed and I missed my heart but um, I'm so grateful for the father that God gave me um, because yeah he fought for me and he believed in me but I built this really strong self that I lived out of for years as a result of that and it was built on who God told me I was really, but it was not a relational self. It was a functional self. I would function for the kingdom, but I wasn't walking in intimacy or relationship really with the Father. I was doing but not being. And I lived out of that for a long time. And that died hard. And in fact, in when I mar <laughs> married it, we married out of that, which became an idol which drove both of us. And um, long story, but... About, would have been about June this year, I did a six-week course and um, the pastor said, look, you need to fast something for six weeks. And in the back of my mind, I need a sabbatical. So I said to Simon, do you reckon I could fast from ministry for six weeks? And I looked at him and I said, would that be allowed? And, <laughs> and he goes, uh, the fact that you've just asked me if that's allowed means you better fast. <laughs> There's some problem there. So I told my small group that I would be fasting from ministry and I cleared my books. And um, in that six weeks, this is what went down. And uh, this is what happens because it was like God pushed that back and he said, now I'm going to speak to you. And it was awful because I'm with this group of people who know me pretty well and I'm like saying things like, I don't know, I don't know if I can believe God will help me. <laughs> you know, um, that God will come through for me and I feel very weak and I feel very vulnerable and I don't know what this is about. And so um, I was in a, it was at the retreat of this weekend during this course and it was worship like this morning. God can do, um, and he probably has done some amazing stuff this morning that some of you, if we could hear the whole story. But it was a retreat like this morning in worship and I was just sitting there and tears just began pouring and God took me into vision and he showed me what had happened to me. So um, by the age of three, and this was where this covenant of birth had been formed in me, by the age of three I had had so much trauma leading up to that point that what happened in this vision that day God showed me was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
that by the time I was three, my structures, we talk about structures in a larger house as in the things we build to stay strong, cope, survive, protect, provide power, the things we go after and build. The things I had built by the age of three were overloaded, overwhelmed, and I cracked, basically. Um, now, the event that that happened, so God showed me in the vision, was the memory, and I had a memory of this, was walking through the jungle with my dad. Um, we walked five miles, so miles, whatever that is in kilometres, eight kilometres, through the jungle, no track, and he tells the story, he couldn't find a guide that day, but he'd heard about this mission tribe, <laughs> this mission, this tribe of people who hadn't heard the gospel, and he figured he could find them. <laughs> so, and my mum had just had my brother, so he figured he'd take me as well to give her a break. But also he said to mum, and he, t- he told me this, she, need, I need to, she needs to become strong, she's got to survive in the jungle. Because we, ha- we, were, very, we were the only white people there, it was very isolated. And so he said, I need to take her for this walk and toughen her up. So he takes me on this walk, no shoes, we're going through the jungle and he's hacking away at the jungle because there's no track and he's trying to find this tribe, he has some idea where it is. And the only memory I have of this is me whinging, complaining, crying, pick me up, carry me, it's stinking hot, you know. And he can't help because he's overloaded with Bibles and food and camping equipment and we stayed in that, we got to that village, we stayed there for a week and did all this ministry and stuff. I have no memory of that. I've got no idea where I was um, or the walk out, but I remember the walk in. <laughs> and, um, and so I knew this story because Dad had told me. And he's, he had said to me, he said, after a while, you just stop whinging. And I was so grateful. I thought, good. <laughs> that was a key. And I'd known this story, but I didn't realise the impact it had on me. So in the vision... God took me um, back to what had happened. And on that walk, at, one, at some point, I was so physically exhausted, I couldn't walk another step. And this physical exhaustion was manifesting physically in my body now, you know, this year. That, that's what the root was. It was a spiritual root. And, um, and I was saying to God, where's this coming from? Well, this part of my heart is manifesting. And uh, so I saw myself... On the, on the floor of the jungle in this vision where I had just stopped. A part of me that day, overwhelmed, had just stopped and laid down. And she's curled up just, you know, in a fetal position. And there was, because I'm now 49, 40, 46 years of foliage and dead leaves that had just fallen over the years and covered her like she was in a grave. And, um, <coughs> and I saw God and Jesus there beside beside her so I'm looking in at this vision and he's healing me he's just washing like I can just feel that's what the tears were about he was just healing all the tiredness and the weariness and the but as I looked closely um I could I well I started then to feel in in what he was doing the earth pulling me into the ground I could feel I could feel death pulling on me just it was really powerful and um and I said to the Lord I can't move, I'm paralysed, I'm totally immobilised, I cannot get up. This is coming from that three-year-old part. And, um, and he's there, and I realised I've made some agreement with death, and it's got a hold on me, and it's pulling me into the ground, and I can't resist this, and it was really strong. 
Simon was with me holding my hand, and I, but the Lord just said, you've made a covenant with death and you need to renounce that. And, um, but I just said to him that day, yeah, I've got to go get ministry for that, but at the moment, <laughs> um, I'm just sinking and I can't even help myself. It was, it was that week. And I saw myself being pulled in. And then, <laughs> God is so cool, um, I just saw him like throw himself on me, scooped me up and he pulled me up into himself and just held me. And I saw this blue, limp, lifeless little girl just being held by him. But when he threw himself on me in the vision and scooped me up, he's screaming at the enemy, she's mine. <laughs> and I, mean, I just lost it. That picture of God as our saviour. And this three-year-old part of me didn't know him and didn't have any faith and could not fight for myself. And he just did this thing and he pulled me up and, um, and, and that's where the vision stopped that day. But that's all I needed. I knew he had me. And I share that with you because that's what he does for us. And that's what he does for everybody who is struggling and weak and fragile. He's, he's there and he's, he also realised he never left me. He had stayed there with me. I'd walked off on myself, okay, but he'd stayed with this broken part of me and waited for me to come back 46 years later to be reintegrated. And he was watching over me. He'd never left. And uh, so, that, so then I went and had ministry, renounced the covenant with death. And then I had to do some forgiveness between me and me because this strong part in me rose up that day to keep walking. I have to do this myself. I have to do this alone. I have to do this without help. I can't whinge. I can't complain. I can't ask for help. I can't move. And that three-year-old strong part of me that rose up that day and kept walking and stopped complaining <laughs> um, shut down uh, my and became incredibly independent which is actually what dad was wanting me to be a survivor. So he had, in his good intent, had actually tempted me to shed myself. Um, and I had to forgive him for that. He didn't mean to do that, um, but that happened. And then I had to forgive myself for walking off on myself and for betraying myself, betraying my, the little three-year-old part that was weak and shutting her down. And the two parts of me had to integrate. I'd judged myself. I had to repent of that. And the two parts then had to come back together again. And my journey in the last couple of months has been watching this split in me come together because this strong part of me wants to run off and go back into ministry and work. And this little weak part of me is like, I'm not ready. <laughs> it's really weird. feels really weird. But he's integrating and he needs to make that whole before we go back in again. And I'm not prepared to shed myself again, so I'm going slow and I'm letting him build and strengthen. And it's part of the journey. We have to give God permission and time to do what only he can do. And I've been so aware that I can't even heal myself or strengthen myself. That, that weak three-year-old part has had no life. I'm so aligned with death and hopelessness that every day I just say, Lord, breathe into breathe into that part of my heart, strengthen it, form it, 
Um, it's been an interesting journey. I've had a couple of visions and dreams since then, and we're on this path out. And that, that's the further story that's gone on, which has been so cool. But he's working me on my way out. But it's, um, it's the power of the enemy wanting to take us out, take us out of our blueprint, take us out of our destiny, if he can get us to agree with death. Um, so, death covenants. I just want to explain a little bit about what they are. The death covenant is formed when a person is deeply overwhelmed by a lack of internal and or external resources um, or supplies. So on the first day we talked about the blueprint and the parents or the community supplying the needs of the child. So if there's a lack of the internal or external resources needed to help the child function and live, they can, form, they can be tempted to form a death covenant. And if they're formed early in life, these covenants are very powerful and they have a significant impact. Um, I talked the other day about homicide and suicide. Um, homicide is anger turned outwards. It's a turning against and an acting out towards people and community. Deep anger that festers toward those who don't supply our needs or fail to give us help. And so, but our anger goes out against people and we become bitter. Death is the ultimate weapon to punish those who have hurt you. And that really is what homicide is. You use death, you've agreed with death, and you use death as a weapon to hurt the people who have hurt you. That's all outside of Christ's behaviour. Suicide, which is anger turned inward, is a turning against oneself a deep anger and a rejection of yourself because you've perceived yourself as the cause for people and God failing you. There's something wrong with me. I wasn't lovable. I wasn't worth caring for. I was neglected. So you begin to hate yourself and death is the ultimate refuge um, from life that's too painful instead of Christ. And that's outside of Christ's behaviour as well. So a death covenant is basically an agreement that we make at some point with death, destruction or the enemy to protect us and to provide refuge from life uh, and also to empower us. So we agree with death uh, as in anything outside of Christ. Um, I need to provide for myself, I need to protect myself, I need to empower myself. And this creates a foothold for the enemy and, it, and a demon of death or structures of death, destruction can begin to follow us. And when we turn from life, we go into the enemy's camp and we can be taken captive there. And I was taken captive at that point. I was being held by death and God had to save me. So whatever we agree with, we empower. And whatever we empower will devour so our agreements are so important. Um, they're very powerful. This basically is a death covenant or these kind of things are decisions to turn away from life because it's too overwhelming, too traumatising, too exhausting, too unpredictable, too unsafe or too treacherous. And we flee from life and there's fear under there. And someone said once, fear is, fa is faith in the wrong God. And it's true faith in the wrong God, but it's real. There's a deep rebellion against the gift of life 
that God has given and an inability to trust God to supply provision, protection and power for the journey. And it's a failure to steward the gift of life that God has given us. Um, when people um, present with a guest covenant in ministry or if you know people or in yourself, some of the fruit that you can see, um, there's a sense of not being completely whole. You have, a, you have this feeling that a part of me is missing. I'm not quite, I've, you know, I've lost a part of me somewhere. I'm not quite sure. I feel like a part of me is in another dimension or just not fully here. Um, Sandra Selma did ministry with me about seven years ago and she said, Kath, I see a part of you in another dimension, um, which is like a captivity thing. And this, I think, is part of what it was, but it, it's taken a while for God to, to pull that forward. They can present with a, in a state of breakdown, ruin, decay, collapse. Their lives are shrinking and wasting, um, sort of decomposing. Um, and their relationship systems are decomposing. So there's just death all over everything there. Um, they can be overwhelmed with life, constricted without hope, having given up and capitulated. Then you sometimes see symptoms of self-hatred where they've been tempted to terminate, annihilate, eradicate, destroy, exterminate, dissolve, diminish. These are all words. Silence, misplace or reject themselves. So they've turned on themselves. Um, sometimes people experience life as catastrophic. Everything's a catastrophe. Calamity everywhere. And you see people, um, you know, it's one hit after another, after another, after another, after another. So what doors are open, really? What's going on there? Um, there's disorder and chaotic functional and relational systems. There's no peace. Um, a myopic focus on self, which is really because you're under attack or life is against you, you're just very self-focused, um, which is uh, a part of the reality of the, the problem. Extreme anxiety, an inability to thrive and move forward, sort of like a, a paralysis, an inability to be enjoyed by others and to enjoy yourself, an inability to enter into life. So destiny malaise, you can't get into your purpose. Um, or you take a few steps back and then you regress. It's like hard work to get forward. Something keeps tripping you up. Um, physical symptoms and illnesses with or without medical disorders under them. So I was, I was physically exhausted. But um, uh, just an interesting story, and I have permission to share this. I did some ministry with a 60-year-old lady for a couple of years, just journeying with her. She was um, stuck in bed, and she'd had severe physical and sexual abuse as a 12-year-old. And um, I noticed when I started meeting with her that she looked like a 12-year-old. Her body, she was really little, and she looked like she'd stopped growing at 12, and I noticed that. Um, and I thought, that's really interesting. That's just the impression I had of her. But we did ministry, and at one point, because of the sexual abuse from her uncle and her father, at 12, she told her body to stop growing because she didn't want to develop any further and be attractive. So she had no breast, she was not fully formed, and she'd never been able to have babies or children. Um, it was so deep, but she said, I made a vow, Kath, and I told my body, you will not grow because my body was exposing me to trauma and abuse. And then she looked at me and she said, is that why? 
I'm still physically a 12-year-old. That's the power of a vow to self-protect, to keep ourselves safe from harm. And we broke that now, you know, that, that she's now 60, but the implications and the ramifications. Um, and I simply asked the question, what, how did you decide to protect yourself? And what happened? And she said, I called my body not to breathe. And that came out of her heart. So the, the, the implications of agreeing with the enemy, of protecting ourselves, and, and she was caught in a, another time outside of herself, even her body was caught up in that. Weird, but, you know, very powerful. Um, another symptom is um, difficulty. People, ha people struggling with death covenants or under a power of death have difficulty being in environments around people where there's a lot of energy. Depre people with depression struggle with that too because life is too overwhelming and even healthy life systems can be too overwhelming and they pull back to the isolate and withdraw from community or people because it can just feel too intense. Um, even positive life, ex life situations because if life has been too intense or overwhelming, I can't do that because I'm looking at death and I'm turned away from life. So people do struggle to be, um, you know, in places where they actually need the life but there's a resistance to it. Does that make sense? So these are kind of some of the symptoms people present with or you, you know, you recognise going on. So if we were to minister to a death covenant or work with God, it's looking at asking God to show us where we were tempted or where the person was tempted to make an alignment with death because life is too overwhelming um, or too hard. Or um, the other thing is that people can make an agreement with death or a covenant with death to get power because they you can do one or the other. So we can yeah, go into that. You can have two responses. You can go into flight freeze where you withdraw and run from life and that's what my weak little three-year-old did. She turned away from life. Or you can do the other thing, you can fight. So we talk about, you know, freeze, flight, fight. And you can choose to rise up and be strong and fight. Both of those responses to that wounding and that trauma are both outside of Christ and they're both um, uh, covenanting basically with the enemy. And so they put you in a trap. So if you have a, if you have a flight freeze uh, response, you feel overwhelmed, immobilised and you withdraw, it's a passive, it's kind of like a, I just give up, I just lie down and die. Um, that fleeing from life, it, you need to go in then to releasing forgiveness for all the people who didn't supply your needs, which is going back to that blueprint. Repenting of judgments on yourself and others who didn't supply help or the resources for life at that point. And um, the person needs to come out of agreement with the decision to stop living and seeking death as a solace or refuge. Repenting of seeking death as a refuge as an idol, you're putting your trust in that instead of God, and renounce the covenant of death. And then there's the journey of resting and reconnecting to his love and asking him to build, rebuild you and re-strengthen you and provide you with the supply of life that you didn't get then, that you need now to go forward. And it's learning to find provision, protection and power in Christ, not in yourself.
um, or in death. And that's, that's the, the flight freeze response. With the fight one, if you choose to be strong, um, but you're partnering with death to do that, um, it's more an aggressive, like a, you know, a take control response. It's a decision to partner with the enemy to gain power over a life that feels out of control. A decision to be in control of life, but that is outside of Christ's behaviour. It's um, releasing forgiveness to those who have not supplied your needs, who tempted you to feel powerless, and so I will be powerful. And that's a vow that you can make. I will be strong. Um, You repent of judgments on others who don't supply help and resources for life and the ways any person tempted attempted to save yourself or to be God. I will be my God. The person needs to identify the structures they have built to be strong. So how did you actually how did you actually decide to build yourself? How did you build yourself? How did you accomplish um, being strong? What decisions did you make along the way? Might be that I'll be wealthy, you know, I'll make lots of money because that'll give me power, whatever it is that's driving those things. Um, and repent of determinations of independence, self-reliance and isolation. That is basically doing life separated from God, others and yourself. And identify new ways of becoming more corporate, resting in Christ and finding provision, protection and power in Christ for life, not in your own reserves because you have got your... And so when I said earlier about my structures overloading, everything I had built to be strong, the strong part of me, eventually crumbled because I was doing it in my own strength and that also added to my exhaustion. That was the other side of my exhaustion because I was working so hard to keep myself going. So often um, with, with um, covenants of death, you might have a very weak, passive, overwhelmed part of your heart that gave up, but out of that you can be tempted to build, like the mirror image of it, the, a strong response to keep going. If your trauma or the trauma is so overwhelming from life, um, you can uh, end up, um, people can end up suiciding because it's just so strong, that pull of death and the self-hatred that might go on is just so strong that they actually, they actually don't even form a strong part to keep going. Something in them there stops and they take themselves out. That's how serious this gets. Um, but if they've got something in them that's tempted to be strong, they might have that operating as well, but then they rise up and I've got to keep going and just keep surviving. Um, and if that's taken to its extreme, they get really angry and they can kill someone else, <laughs> take someone else out of that anger or their needs not having been met. So... It's just so important to understand how deep pain and trauma goes when our basic building blocks are not met or moving. Like, this is not just having a whinge about someone not meeting my needs. The implications of how our life plays out and how we fail to thrive and we just sort of try and survive. And we do all of that outside of Christ. Um, when he's wanting to help us, carry us, walk with us, source us, supply us, but he's calling us back to look at the ways in which we have um, been tempted to do life outside of him because of our story 
and recommit now to him and get all the power, provision and protection that we need from him in order to go forward. And, and that's what he longs for because that's, that's, that's his plan for us. And for you guys as a community, he has all the power you need, he has all the provision you need and he has all the protection you need as a community to do what he's called you to do as a church, step into this blueprint, this amazing blueprint that he's creating here at Paradox. It's absolutely phenomenal. But he won't leave any individual behind in that corporate process because he cares about you. And that's what I've learnt. You know, my, my father, <laughs> I totally honour him for his passion, his call to take the gospel to people who'd never heard the good news but he, he kind of left me a little bit behind in that work. And God won't do that. That's not the Father. He loves you all individually. And he will, he will take you with his mission. And he won't leave anything or any part of you behind. And this time of healing and consolidating and understanding and building um, insight and revelation and carrying one another through and working these things through is so important building that foundation. Wow. Yeah, I, um, that's, a, that's a big story. And because uh, I've been in the midst of it um, and sort of seen it, but then at times I've missed her story uh, and I've wanted to push her back into that strong part because at least we sort of had a better idea of what's going. So it's been part of God um, working in my heart to be comfortable in the mess um, and Kath has been comfortable in my mess and I didn't even know it but hers was more obvious in this current journey so um, yeah I want to bless her I'm going to ask her to pray for us but the thing that just came to me again just listening as she was sharing that for her personally and it might be for some here the way that we can make the agreement and and that's what it's an agreement covenant might be for some people a strong word it's a decision we make for whatever reason for that part of our heart but then we override that with other methods to, to be strong, to, to, to provide for ourselves to go forward. And that's what Kath had done. And so that was the person that I married um, and was drawn to. And together we were going to, you know, save the world for Jesus. And then when that whole blueprint that we'd built was pulled down, it was quite painful, especially for me, because I married her and that idol of how God had put us together was going to be how we were going to work. And it just hasn't followed that plan at all. And we don't know what we don't know what the next step of the plan is going to be, and and that's I'm telling you this is up to this very week, and and so as part of my journey of healing, part of our journey as a couple, uh, it's come out of this. But uh, if you feel that God is sort of just prompting, and some of those those fruit that that uh, that uh, Kath read out, what we can do is we haven't got those notes because they're very fresh, but I'm happy to pass them on to Brad or to Amy, and and if people wanted to sort of get copies of those those we we said that too but I'd really like for Kath to pray for us and I'm putting myself here as well because things in my heart are being um, uh, focused uh, by the spirit and it was really wonderful to worship as Kath said and Rachel leading some worship there was a line in the song and I held Catherine's hand when Rachel sang it where he, he says he takes us out of our grave and I knew she was going to tell that story and that's exactly the image and it was in one of those songs I'd never heard that song before but he takes us out of our grave. We put ourselves in the grave. We make the covenant. But God actually lifts us out 
and, and that's exactly what that experiencing is experiencing. So 